Well, it is, uh, it is good to be with you on uh, this Lord's Day. Uh, Denise and I always consider it a, uh, a privilege to be able to worship with you and to, uh, to see uh, uh, your smiling faces and, make, again, get reacquainted with those of you that we haven't seen in a while. Um, we, we so much appreciate the, uh, the support uh, financially and prayerfully that you give to our, our work up there at campus uh, with Athletes in Action. And the slides uh, will show the... Uh, uh, I used the, the template that, that I use on campus just because it was easier uh, for me to do that, but it has our mission statement on it. So that uh, if you're not that familiar with Athletes in Action, you'll kind of see a little bit of, uh, again, what our uh, kind of vision purpose is for why we're, we're on campus there. But uh, I'd like to um, have you guys begin to, to maybe turn to uh, your uh, Bibles, uh, in your Bibles, to Matthew 28. I'd like to, to, to speak and teach on a, a topic that is very familiar, I'm sure, with you. It's sometimes called the Great Commission, and uh, I remember, oh my gosh, probably maybe close to 40 years ago, hearing for the first time this message preached. It was at a a meeting up on campus. I went to Kent State University in Kent, Ohio, and I was getting involved in a Christian organization, and and it was the first time I had ever heard this message, and, and it captivated my heart. So much so that even to this day, it is, it is still something that is a, a passion and, and a conviction of mine. I'd like to talk this morning on uh, some of the marks of a healthy church, taken from uh, Matthew's Gospel there, from the Great Commission, Matthew uh, 28. So if you have your Bibles, love for you to turn to, uh, to that chapter in verses 16 through 20. As you're turning there, I'd like to kind of maybe go through a, a little meeting. I want to share with you a message from a meeting. It was part of a Christian ministry and that was getting started, a little meeting that they were having. And it went something like this. Pete was the chairperson of the meeting, and he said this. He said, this meeting has been called at the request of Matt, John, Tom, and little Jim. Bart, will you open us with a word of prayer? And so Bart begins his prayer. He says, Almighty God, we ask your blessing on all that we do and say, and earnestly pray that you will see our side as your side. Amen. And so Pete uh, continues with the meeting. He says, uh, Jesus, we, you know, we've been following you around for some time, and, and we're getting concerned about the attendance figures. Uh, Tom, how, how many were on the hill yesterday? Of course, Tom responds, uh, 37. Oh, man. Um, and so uh, Pete says, you know, uh, it, it's getting to be ridiculous. I mean, we're, we're, you're going to have to step things up. Uh, we're expecting... Uh, you know, great things uh, to happen here. And uh, John chimes in. He says, yeah, I'd like to su- suggest that you pull off more miracles. <laughs> I mean, that walking on water trick was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. But only a few of us saw it. If a thousand or so had a chance to witness it, oh, we would have more than we could handle on the hill. Well, little Jim, he, he, he says this. He says, I agree. He says that the healing miracles are terrific, but only a limited number really get to see what has happened. Let's have more water to wine, more fish and chips. It never hurts to fill their stomachs. And, you know, a few more storms, that might be bad. And, and give us, you know, more signs. This, this is what the people need. Pete says, yeah, right. Uh, another thing, publicity is essential. If you tell half the people you cure to keep it quiet, you know, let the word get out a little more. Well, Matt chimes in. He says, uh, I'm for miracles, but, but I want to hear a few stories I can understand. Uh, you know, this, those who have ears let them hear business just, just clouds the issue. You have to make it clear, or, or most of us aren't going to be able to take anything home. 
Big Jim, he says, well, I'd like to offer an order of service. First a story, then a big miracle, followed by an offering. Then then maybe a saying or something, followed by a small miracle to bring them back next time. Oh, oh yeah, and, and, you know, prayer, if if you'd like. (laughs) And Tom, he says, hey, man, you know, we've got to do something. Uh, Little Jim, yeah, that's for sure, attendance has been awful. And then Judas, he, you know, he pipes up. He says, I, I'd like to say that if we're going to continue to meet in this upper room, we ought to do something about the carpet. <laughs> you think that ever happened, the meeting between Jesus and his disciples? Well, probably not exactly like that. But, it, but I think that maybe in some ways there was the, uh, that aspect at times of, of, you know, when we are trying to, at least, at least as I've looked out over the years, a number of churches, not this church, but other churches, I, I've sometimes wondered, why is it that, that these churches aren't growing? Now, there isn't just one reason for the lack of growth. But one of the common denominators I've noticed between those churches that are healthy, healthy numerically uh, in terms of, of attendance, healthy in terms of, of the people themselves, the, the qualitative factor <clears throat> in the believer's life, versus those churches that aren't, is that the churches who are not doing so well it's because they don't understand the Great Commission. Uh, either that or they don't want to buy into what the teaching is saying there that Jesus has. So again, if you, if you have your Bibles, look over there in, in Matthew 28. And, and starting in verse 16, I'm going to read uh, uh, the verses here and then uh, I'll be reading from the NIV. You can follow along in your, your Bible and your translation. In uh, verse 16, it says this. It says, that, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, uh, uh, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I am with you always, uh, even to the very end of the age. This event, this, uh, where Jesus is speaking here, uh, occurs, we think, somewhere between three and four weeks after the resurrection. So you, you've had the crucifixion. He, he has been raised again. He's been spending that 40-day that time period before he ascends into heaven. And uh, uh, he, he, he approaches his disciples. In fact, he had told them to go to Galilee and to meet. And it was a certain time and a certain designated spot that he tells them uh, uh, to, to meet at. Now, now remember, the Lord ascended. You know, before he, he ascended into heaven after 40 days, in Acts 1, 9 through 11, you don't, you don't need to turn to that, uh, but, but that's where uh, the 120 or so met. Um, th- this is a little different situation. This is where the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians, you may recall, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says, after that he, meaning Jesus, appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Most of them were still living. Okay, well, the, the thing that, that got me was at the, most, at, at the same time. When did Jesus, I mean, I knew he had, he had appeared to 500, but I didn't realize, well, he did it at, at one time. I think this was the time when that happened. Uh, it's very likely because uh, most of the, of the believers that at, at that time were living in Galilee. And, uh, it, again, it was a place where uh, he had told them to go. So not only do the 11 disciples, uh, minus Judas, remember, he had... Um, he had hung himself. Uh, the 11 plus these 500, I believe, meet on this hill somewhere in, in Galilee. It's unknown. Uh, and uh, they, they come to, because Jesus had told them 
to be there. And so they're being obedient. But I want you to remember, notice what it said back there in, in Matthew. Some, you know, they came to worship, but some doubted. Some were struggling with what had taken place. Now, again, put your feet in the sandals of those disciples. I mean, here you you'd maybe had heard Jesus uh, preach some of the most wonderful messages. Maybe you'd seen him do some miracles. Um, uh, you know, you'd heard wonderful things about him, and then all of a sudden, he ends up getting himself killed. Well, yeah, it's true. Some of the, some of the disciples have been saying that, that he, he rose again from the dead and he's alive. Some of them said they'd seen him. But for the most part, this 500 had not seen Christ. And, and I'm sure that the reason that they doubted was because their dreams had been dashed. The, the hopes. I thought he was the Messiah. I mean, he was, he's talking about the kingdom of God and, and establishing that kingdom. And we thought he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah. But what happened? He's, he's dead. I mean, you can probably begin to understand a little bit concerning their bewilderment, their, their confusion, uh, you know, the questions that they had, even the fear. You know, and, and so there, there's good reason why some of them probably doubted. But I want you to notice something. I want you to notice this observation, and that is at least those 500-plus showed up. Remember, Jesus had told them to go to Galilee and to be there at, at a certain time, and he was going to meet up with them. And I'm sure they're, they're hoping that he's going to answer some of the questions they have. My point is this. Nothing happens except to those who are available to kind of make it happen or to have it happen. Uh, you see, availability is really the starting point to any effective ministry, any effective service for Christ that, that we're going to be in, involved in. And they came out there because they wanted to, to see the living Christ. And I think it was the, the desire within their heart to follow him, um, even though some of them were, were doubting, some of them were, were struggling with regards to, to this issue. Now, when they see Jesus, what did they do? Uh, when they saw Jesus coming, what did they do? Well, um, or what did he do? So as to encourage them, because he knows that some of them are struggling, some of them are doubting. In verse 18, um, he says this. He, says, he then came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Point one, if you're following along in your notes. Demonstrating God's life in us to others. See, that's where Jesus is going to go with this. Where, where he's going to encourage the disciples then, and by extension, you and I today. I mean, do you ever have doubts about Christ? Do you ever have apprehensions about some of the things that the Bible says that we should be doing or the way we should be living? Any fears at times in your life? <laughs> well, if you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, yeah, there, there are going to be those doubts. There's going to be times of fear. And sometimes we've got to go back to, wait a minute, what did he originally say about certain things and about important things in life? Uh, say, for example, the mark of a healthy church. Remember, the church is made up of individuals, and we are a community. And so even though he may be speaking corporately with regards to this, it has individual ramifications. And the issue he's, he's moving towards is the demonstration of God's life in us to show forth to others. But he says, look, you, there's some things you've got to realize. Um, you know, again, he's talking to those who are insecure and those who are doubtful. They need something. What do they need? They need the authority of the person that they are following. See, the, the word authority means to, to have the power or the right to give orders, to make decisions, to enforce obedience. Uh, notice that the authority that was available, Jesus says, is all authority. 
all authority has been given to him. It's a, it's a kind of a special authority, and it's, it's not only been, been given to him, it's, a, it's being demonstrated in a particular way. And I want to try to build uh, my case, if I may, by sharing with you some scriptures. You don't need to turn to these scriptures per se, but if you would write them down, that might be helpful in your notes if you'd like to. But, but to kind of try to accent this, because again, the instructions that Jesus gets, he gets because of the authority of the Father who has given it to him. And, and he, he, he tries to explain this to help us in terms of understanding just what this authority means. For example, if you go back to John's Gospel, chapter 12, and, and uh, verses 49 through 50, Jesus says, says this. He says, look, I do not speak on my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. Um, so I know, or he says, um, I know that, that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So, again, the point here is he's operating under a certain uh, parameter here. Uh, he says that. He goes on in, in uh, John 5:19. It gives us some more insight. He says, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can, he can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the, the, the Son does, uh, also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. Um, uh, and, and just moving again on, in, in John 5.30, he says uh, this. He says, by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. So again, here is Jesus, who is Messiah. He's received his words from the very mouth of God. And he speaks with, with a unique authority of the Son who, who alone perfectly knows God in a, perfectly, uh, in a perfect manner. So, so in other words, he's very adequate, he, he's very accurate in terms of, of what he is saying and what he is doing. Notice that is his model. So that when he comes to the disciples at this point and he says, all authority has been given to me, again, he's talking about his preeminence. Okay, there isn't anyone higher or greater or above Jesus in his authority because it has been given to him by the Father. What does that say to us? Well, it shows that, number one, he had confidence, he had direction, he had purpose because he relied on the authority of the Father. Now, how do we know this is all true? Because almost 40 days before this, something happened that was so incredible, so supernatural. It was called the resurrection. See, the resurrection of Christ from the grave was God's final stamp of approval that Jesus Christ was everything that he said he was. And so when he comes to his disciples, he's trying to encourage them. And by extension, you and I, all authority, guys, has been given to me. Okay. And so when he gives a command, as he's doing here in, in Matthew 28, 18, he's not asking for a debate. <laughs> He's not saying, hey, guys, let's get together and let's talk about this. Or let's write a dissertation on, you know, whether we should be involved in what he's going to be commanding us to do. No. He's giving marching orders. He said, look, a mark of a healthy Christian, the mark of a healthy church, is our commitment to this command. Are we as laity, okay, I'm not talking about leadership of the church, but, but individuals in the church, have we bought in to the Great Commission to this command that he's given to us? Are we taking goal ownership of it? See, I think that is the denominator that is common between a church that is healthy versus a church that is not. A church that is not healthy is not bought in. The laity is not bought in to the, 
the realization that, well, the way the church is going to grow is it's on my shoulders. It's my responsibility to be this kind of disciple that he's going to be talking about. See, it's, it's so, I was in a, I actually was candidating at a church, and one of the questions that they asked was, what are you going to do as the pastor to grow this church? Now, I'm glad I didn't get to that part of the, the um, interview process, because that was the second round. Uh, we'd gotten some of the questions ahead of time, and I thought to myself, wow, what am I going to do to grow the church? <laughs> it's not my responsibility to grow the church. Now, it would be my responsibility to preach the Word of God and to teach you know, the Scriptures, but it's, not my re- it's God's responsibility. It's all of our responsibilities to do what we need to be doing. Now, I'm going to be involved in fulfilling the Great Commission individually, but it's not on my shoulders. You see, I, and that, I happen to know that church is not doing too well, even today. But anyway, um, you, you see, because of his authority, we can rest assured that Jesus is the one who's leading, he's guiding us. Uh, it's his example that helps us, okay, in terms of, of what, what he's talking about here. Uh, the, the issue, the life of Jesus, he modeled exactly what we are called to do. It's not one of these, hey, do as I say and not as I do kind of things. Do you ever grow up that way? My mom sometimes would say, Timmy, do as I say and not as I do. Right, well, okay, being a little boy, I would do that. But eventually you wake up and you realize, you know what? There's a disconnect there. There's a little bit of hypocrisy. What do you mean, do, don't do as I do, but do as I say? Why is it okay for you to do those things that are wrong, but not for me? You see what I'm saying? You kind of begin to realize, eh, that, that just doesn't fly after a while. You begin to realize, no, you, we, we, we will do as you do. <laughs> and uh, that's the way Jesus is showing here. Do as I do. See, he, he, wants, he wants us to get to know him. Personally, as we talk about his word, his character, his wisdom, and to understand all that he can do. Uh, And so as a result, uh, you know, demonstrating God's life in us to others has an impact. Okay, but the way we do that, verse 19.2, is this. We've got to connect with God. Uh, When he makes this command, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. How do you make a disciple? What is the first thing that you need to do to make a disciple? Well, get them in church, right? No, 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 get them into a Bible study. Yeah, yeah, that's the first thing you do, get them into, right? What do you do? What's the first thing you do? Well, you've got to teach certain principles of Scripture. Uh, yeah, no. First thing we need to do is to get that person to trust Christ as their Savior. Get them into a personal relationship with Christ. Get them saved. That's, that's a churchy term, but, but it's, it's evangelism. You, know, you make a, a disciple by allowing that person to come into understanding what the gospel message is and, and by them receiving Christ as their Savior. See, the word disciple simply means follower or, or a student. You see, we are to be a student. Well, you, first of all, you've got to enter into that personal relationship with Christ in order to begin to be that follower, that learner. But then afterwards, yeah, there's that aspect of, of doing a number of things to help with regards to uh, that, that, that issue of, of being a disciple or being a follower of Christ. But what I, want to notice, what I want you to notice is we look in verse 19 here of our text there when he says, you know, to go and make, all disciples, uh, and make disciples of all nations. The command is clarified. In the original language, it simply says make disciples. Uh, but the command is clarified by three participles. Those three participles are going, baptizing, and teaching. 
And in fact, the, the, in the original language uh, that is used here, the word go literally means as you go. Uh, in other words, as you are living your life, there are certain things you need to be thinking about, focusing in on. One of the main things is, are you thinking lost? You know, I was talking in Sunday school class how, how easy it is, even for me, uh, who is in full-time Christian work, that, that I'm not always thinking lost like I should. But, but as believers, if we are going to be the followers of Christ, that's one of the main things in our minds that we should be thinking about as we live our lives, whether you're a, you're a stay-at-home mom or you've got a career, whether you're a high school student or a college student. It's, it's with this mindset there are people out there that don't know Christ. There are people out there that need the Lord, and God wants to use me to influence, to impact their lives. That's part of the aspect of going. It was one of the reasons why the church just exploded. Now, God did some things in terms of forcing the believers out of Jerusalem, but as they went through the Roman Empire, in a very, very short time, uh, the, the gospel message and, and, and churches were just, you know, they sprung up all over the empire. Why? Because as the believers, for one reason or another, as they moved on, they had caught on to understanding that this going was just as you naturally live your life. You're living with, with the mindset, with the perspective of those. There are people there that are there that are lost. They need to understand the gospel message. What does it mean? Uh, how does it look in terms of, of my life? As I connect with God, you see, um, he, he begins to do that. He wants us to, to not only make disciples we're at, but obviously all nations. This church is very committed to, to, to missions work, and, and that's, that's important. But let me ask you this question. What is a disciple, really? I mean, what does a disciple look like? Are there some qualitative uh, terms that can be given to help us? Well, the Bible does give us some of those, and again, I just want to draw your attention to those. Write these down. Uh, you don't need to turn to them necessarily in, in your Bibles. But it's something that can, can help us get a, get a handle on, on the picture that Jesus has in his mind of what a, a true follower looks like, someone who is, who is following after, after Christ. In Luke 14, 26, uh, it says this, If anyone comes to me, this is Jesus speaking, and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoa. Well, that seems a little harsh, doesn't it? Going to hate <laughs> my father? Well, sometimes, yeah, but you know, that's when that's during the teenage years, right? No, no. Um, well, this is where it's helpful sometimes to have a handle on the uh, the uh, the original language here. That word "hate" literally means to love less. So, so when he says, "Look, if anyone comes to me and does not love less," it's not saying you don't love your mother or father, but love less these people. You cannot be my disciple. In other words, what Jesus is expecting is that for us, as followers of his, to be able to put him first. He is Lord. He is to be preeminent in our lives. See, oftentimes in our culture, Christ is prominent. He's one of many. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. no. I need to be preeminent. Why? Because I have the authority and I have the right. And that's the best way it works out for us in terms of being healthy. Individually, I think, as well as, as corporately. John 8.31 uh, says this. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. So, so in other words, what he's expecting is that for, uh, for us as believers, that we gain our spiritual sustenance from the Word. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you had a quiet time? Uh, a time of devotion. A time where you opened up the Word of God and began to read it. Oh, I don't like to read, Tim. I, 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 you, know, I, I don't, you don't like to read? I can't tell you how many athletes, college athletes have said that to me. 
Ah, I just don't like to read. How, how is it? I remember this one guy I was working with, was discipling. He'd, he'd gotten his undergrad degree at Penn State and was working on his master's. He was almost done with his master's. And I said, Eric, how in the world have you gotten this far in your, in your college career, your academic career, and you don't like to read? See, oftentimes that's just an excuse for being lazy. Because it does take some work. It does take time to, to read and to study and to process and to think as well as to apply. But Jesus said, look, a disciple of mine does that. He holds to my teachings. He not only uh, reads them and, and, and understands them, but he applies the truth on a regular basis. John 13:35 says this, By this, all men, all people will know that you are my disciples. What, what is all this? Oh, oh, if you love one another. Yikes. That's a little tougher, isn't it? You know, uh, as Christians, at times we can be very um, prickly towards one another, very, at times, annoying at times. It takes a lot of love. <laughs> it takes a lot of strength. But Jesus said, look, if you're a follower of mine, you're good, you're, this is one of the things that the people on the outside, as they look in, they're going to see, boy, there is something different about those people that attend the Evangelical Free Church here in Lance. There's just a, a, there is something about the way they relate to one another, how they're patient with each other, how they're kind, loving, and, and as well as, as the loving and being kind to others outwardly. But in other words, they notice a body like, let me tell you something, I think as a church, as an evangelical church overall, we are poised for some, some significant impact because of where our culture is at with all the electronic technology that there is out there. People feel connected because they got Facebook and Twitter and, and all these other media sources, but they're not really connected. You know what connection, what we need to do in terms of being connected is we need to come down and we need to talk, you know, face to face, not, you know, with some electronic device. I was at a Bible study not too long ago, actually. My wife was there too. So I, I told her after the Bible study, I said, you know what, I'm getting fed up with this. I think I'm just going to text the questions to everybody and they'll respond. I bet they would have responded better. Than, but now they've gotten better. I'd say that, that the Bible study has gotten better where they're interacting more. But I just think... Boy, when, when people see how we love each other, how we want to be around each other, th- that's going to be so attractive. It's, a, it's an incredible form of witness, but it, it's, it's what we do as disciples. Now, yes, sometimes we have to love people by faith, and it's a challenge, but we can do it because, again, Christ is with us and he's empowering us. Okay, uh, last thing he, he says here in John 15, uh, 8, he says, uh, this is to my Father's glory. What is to God's glory? That you bear much fruit. Oh, and, and so by doing that, prove yourselves to be disciples. The word fruit here is a metaphor for character. Whose character are we to be bearing, showing, representing? The character of Christ. Ah, okay. Well, that means I've got to study the word. I've got to know, okay, what was Jesus' character like? I've got to look at the other parts of Scripture that, that give us a clue as that character. But you see, at disciples, we are expected to do this because when we do these things, we glorify God. In other words, we, we bring recognition to who God is. Remember, God is a spirit. can't see a spirit. And so we are the representations of who God is. In fact, I think I've got this up. Yeah, Luke 6, 640, Jesus said this. He said, a student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Well, who's the teacher? Well, ultimately God through Jesus in us. So as, as we connect with God, you see, and people begin to see more and more the character, it, it does a number of things. It gives legitimacy to um, the Christian message, but it also gives us a platform 
to be able to share the gospel message with people. There's credibility there. They see, wow, there's genuineness. Not that we're perfect. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to blow it. But there's, there's a, a, an earnestness that, uh, or a, um, a genuineness of, of seeing that, hey, these are people that are real. As they are going, you see, they're doing some other things too here. Uh, it talks about baptism there, which deals with water baptism specifically. But, but, but I, again, I want to challenge you with, with a, an even deeper understanding of, of that word baptism. Because the word in the secular realm at that time meant to change the identity. And it usually meant to change the identity of a piece of cloth. They used the word baptismo, which is baptism, in, in that industry. And so the clothing industry, the cloth industry, they take a, a piece of yellow cloth and they put it into a blue vat of dye and they would say, well, that piece of cloth has now been baptismoed. The identity of that cloth has been changed. Well, of course, water baptism is the physical representation of what happened to us spiritually. See, what we need to understand, if we do not already, is that my identity is different. Paul says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. I am now in Christ. Uh, some of the things that happened to me spiritually was that my old sin nature has been rendered powerless. Wow, that's wonderful. See, I no longer have to listen to my sin nature. I now have a new nature that allows me to listen to God so that I can be the kind of disciple that he wants me to be. Why? Well, it just shows forth my identity. That, that's the, the mechanism of how we are to go in terms of uh, as we share the gospel message with people. Uh, we want them, and as they trust Christ as their Savior, we want them to understand their identity. Uh, these are some, again, major activities that deal with the aspect of the impact that the, uh, the Great Commission can have in our lives. Third point. <clears throat> he says this in verse 20. The other aspect is that we, we are to be teaching the word. He says, teaching them to obey everything that, that I have commanded you. Teaching whom? Well, those from all the nations, but, but even right where we're at. You see, when Jesus said, look, you're going to be witnesses in Acts 1.8, he started out right where they were living. Jerusalem, then a little further out, Judea, then Samaria, and then to the remotest, remotest parts of the earth. In other words, to be a witness or to be teaching God's word, the full counsel of of God's word is something that each and every one of us needs to be involved in. Oh, but wait a minute, Tim. I, I'm not a teacher. I don't have the gift of teaching. I, don't, I, I can't do a good job. Well, but maybe it's not in a formal setting that we teach, but we all have family members. We all have friends. If you're a parent, you've got children. Well, don't you want your child to know Christ or come, come to saving faith in Christ? Yeah. Well, probably the most effective person to do that is you, the parent, or you, a relative, someone that is closely related to that person. And so that means I've got I've to learn how to communicate the gospel message in a way that's effective. But then it's, it's more than that. Those of us who are parents, if, if somewhere along the line we finally realize that, you know what, you're always going to be a parent, <laughs> as long as you've got kids, you know? Right? Am I right, parents? You, you never stop being a parent. Well, you know what? You never stop discipling your children either. Think about the impact that, there is, that, that can be in your kids' lives as you are walking with Christ and as you are helping them deal with, with problems. They're being bullied at school or they're having a hard time finding a job or they're feeling lonely. You take those problems back to Scripture. And because you've gone through those similar kinds of struggles, you're able to share your experience, you're able to share uh, Scripture. And they're looking to you to be a source of, of power and confidence that can help them. 
It's one of the greatest ways in which if, uh, we can build the church up as the kids see mom and dad living out their faith. Not, hey, do as I say and not I, as I do kind of thing, but no, do as I do. Imitate the Christ you see in me. That's what Paul said. Uh, be imitators of, of, of uh, God, as, or he says, uh, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Imitate the Jesus that you see in my life. So it has relevance, I think, to us in terms of, okay, maybe I don't need to go to seminary and get a formal education theologically, but we all need to be learners of Scripture until the day we go to be with the Lord. And by the way, we're still going to learn about God because even though God has infinite knowledge, we don't. If we gained infinite knowledge, guess what? We'd be God. We're not going to be God. So for all eternity, we're going to be learning more and more about God and about the things that God creates. It's incredible. So start now, um, as he talks about here, in terms of applying this principle. And then lastly, point four, Jesus says this. He says, look, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What is he talking about here? He's talking about remaining faithful. Remaining faithful to these truths. You know, God is looking for fat people. That's a little acronym. Fat stands for uh, certain things. The letter F stands for faithful people. A stands for available people. And T stands for teachable people. He's looking for that. This is the model he's laid out for us, the Great Commission, uh, in terms of what the church should be all about. We should be people that are modeling this, that are looking like this personally as well as corporately. And then God promises, if we're doing that, guess what? You're going to see that growth. You're going to see that success. You're going to see the prosperity that he has in mind in store for us. I think Lance, Evangelical Free, is a testimony to this principle. I know that you've been living out the Great Commission, uh, maybe not as, as maybe laid out like I've laid it out, but, but I know the principle of discipleship. I know the principle you guys have and you want to live by in terms of seeing people come to know Christ. That's your heart's desire. Just remember this. Remember that discipleship takes on different forms. You know, a lot of times, um, and we've had discussions uh, even within our own campus ministries uh, between the campus directors as to what is discipleship. Well, it's that one-on-one time, you know, where you get together with people and you share the word. And, yeah, that's that's probably the most effective, but it's not the only kind of way of discipling. There is discipleship that when Pastor Matt preaches from the pulpit, that is a form of discipleship. Um, When you guys get together for uh, worship and the music, you you prepare the music. That is a form of discipleship, uh, as well as the one-on-one, small groups. Your fellowship time can be a form of discipleship. I think of some of the, the times that I've spent with some of uh, my friends uh, on a summer night, like tonight, on their deck uh, or, or before a uh, fire pit, and uh, you know, the fire is gone, and we just start talking about things, um, things we're struggling with. It leads into theology and God, and, and I, it's just a rich time. You know, the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man to another. That's discipleship. That's learning how to follow Christ, how to apply biblical truth to our lives. So, so there's, there's many different forms of discipleship. The important thing is, number one, am I becoming a disciple? And then am I embracing the Great Commission? Is there goal ownership that I see that, okay, what, what Jesus is commanding here is something that I'm taking upon my shoulders. If I don't do it, in other words, it doesn't get done kind of mentality. You see, if we do that, then we can see, ah, okay, I can understand better how it's going to impact not only our community, but also the community outside of us. 